Good morning, everyone. Good morning, and welcome to the well here at STSA. Uh, there we go. Very good. Welcome to the well here at STSA. We are in the final, the final week of a series called Handcrafted. But before we get into today's message, I just want to do like a little public service announcement. Is that next week, as you know, is Labor Day. And whenever we have a holiday weekend, we try to do some fun stuff around here. So we will not be having the well as usual on Labor Day weekend. So many people travel and you know, just like a fun weekend. But if you are in town, we are gonna be doing an event called Reset. And what Reset is, is basically what we discovered is that there are so many different people who have been gone for the summer. And even if you were here for the summer, summer is just kind of crazy. So we wanted a reset day where we kind of come back to church. I was gonna call it church homecoming, but they said reset is better. So either way, it's the same kind of a thing. And basically all the different things that we have going on here at STSA, we got a lot for you, your children, your family. We got group stuff, we got volunteer stuff, we got community service stuff. So next week's gonna be a chance for you to find out about all of it and get plugged in all on the same day. So after we finish the liturgy in the morning, we're not gonna be having the well, but we will be having, like I said, booths all around the room, where you can find out what does it mean to volunteer here. If you're a young adult and you wanna get plugged into the young adult group, if you would like to know more about the Sunday school program, if you wanna know more about how we do this thing called mentoring and accountability groups, we do membership groups. So next week's gonna be your chance to find out all about that. In addition, we are going to be doing some new initiatives this coming fall through the Hope Association. Okay, some new stuff in the community. All right, and we're excited to announce those things next week. So we have some surprises, but really lots of good stuff. So hopefully if you are here in town next weekend, you can join us for that. There'll be food, we'll be doing giveaways, all kinds of fun stuff. It's a chance to reset on Labor Day weekend. Speaking of Labor Day weekend, does anybody know what we celebrate on Labor Day? I just found this out recently. Do you know what we don't celebrate on Labor Day? We don't celebrate the military. I used to think Labor Day was Memorial Day part two. I used to think it was the same day, but did you know Labor Day has nothing to do with army, has nothing to do with military. Anyone know what Labor Day is? You, know, you guys know this? Okay, this is teachers in school. Labor Day is all about the labor force in the United States of America. It's all about celebrating the people who have jobs and the people who do work. And it's like a national holiday. I read it to you what it says right here when it came into, into place. Anyone know when Labor Day became a holiday? Anyone know when, or at least what president made it a national holiday? Not FDR, not Eisenhower, 1894 was the year, 1894. Ohio's favorite, Grover Cleveland. I don't know if he's from Ohio, but his name is after Cleveland, okay? Grover <laughs> Cleveland said that this would be a day dedicated to the social and economic achievements of the American worker. So it's to celebrate people in this country who work. And that sounds like kind of a strange holiday, but as with everything, there's a story behind it. So you may not have heard the story. I found the story. You can look it up on Wikipedia when you go home in case you don't trust me. The story is this, okay? In the year 1894, there was what's known as these days the Pullman Strike. And basically there was a railroad company called the Pullman Railroad Company. The workers, this is before unions and all that stuff. The workers in that company, the railroad workers, the ones who were out there building the railroad, wanted more money. They felt like they deserved more money. The, the owners of the company thought they didn't deserve the money. And more importantly, they said that these people are replaceable. All right, because the people threatened, we're not gonna do our job, okay, if you guys don't pay us more. And they said, you know what? We don't need you to do this job. Any idiot can build a railroad. So the workers went on strike. And the result was a railroad strike that crippled the nation. 
Okay, back then it was before planes, okay, and, and uh, probably before automobiles as well, all right? So back then, the railroads was how people traveled. And this was, Pullman Company was in Chicago, so this was the center of all the traffic going left and right, all right? And the railroad company basically fell apart and was crippled. So much so that the United States government sent the army in to run the railroad. They sent army troops to try to run the railroad to take these guys places, but they weren't effective in it. There was riots, there was unrest, and eventually they solved the problem. They gave the people more money. They got the trains going, and President Cleveland declared Labor Day as a chance to celebrate the American worker, okay? And it wasn't just to reward them, as we know how politics goes in this country. It was a political, it was a PR move more than anything else to kind of make peace with all the upset workers. So what Labor Day is, is a chance to celebrate the workers who make America what it is. The different workers in their different tasks with different abilities, no matter what it may be, the valuing the people who do the jobs that I can't do. So for example, on Labor Day, we celebrate, I personally would celebrate teachers. Because teachers, y'all have patience to do something that you couldn't pay me enough to do. We celebrate the people who are uh, construction workers who build the roads that we all drive on and enjoy. We celebrate doctors who somehow had the patience to go through eight years of college and pay for, and their parents who paid for it. Even we celebrate lawyers and politicians and we give you guys a hard time, but we appreciate what you do. And if this country didn't have people who stood up for the rights of those who had no voice, wouldn't be the same. We're thankful that you're here. We celebrate on Labor Day, people who have different skill sets and different abilities and how we need every single one of them. The country wouldn't be same if there was no construction workers. The country wouldn't be the same if there wasn't nursery care workers. The country wouldn't be the same if there wasn't doctors or lawyers or mechanics or social workers. Even the people across the street from Pollo Rico, if they stopped making that chicken, I, my Sunday wouldn't be the same, just the smell, all right? We celebrate all the different gifts and all the different abilities that people have and we appreciate them, agree? Here's our key thought for today. Our key thought for today is this, is our differences are for my benefit. Our differences are for my benefit. Our differences as a nation, our differences as a church, our differences as a family, our differences as brothers and sisters, our differences are for my benefit. You see, if you're just tuning in here today, we're doing a series about how God made each one of us as masterpieces, how he made us all unique, and each one of us is hand crafted by God, hand-knit by God as a unique masterpiece, which is a very fun series to talk about until you extrapolate it out. Like it's easy to talk about how God made me one of a kind and I'm unique and I'm special even though I'm not like anybody else. God made me unique for a specific purpose. That's easy. But then you know when that gets kind of hard is when that same principle is applied to the person who's next to me, who's very different than me, who I can't stand. Because if God made me unique, masterpiece, one of a kind, hand knit, then he also made my brother or my sister, the one who's very different from me in the same way. See, last week, for those who weren't here, we talked about how different God made us. We talked about different personalities, all right? We did the whole Myers-Briggs thing, and we, think, and we had fun. We talked about introvert versus extrovert, and we talked about the N's and the S's and the T's and the F's, all right, and the J's and the P's, and we talked about how there really is no better one, except, of course, ISTJ. We all know that's the best one, but other than that, it's kind of like number one and then a tie for number two, okay, for 15-way tie for number two. But what we talked about how is about how God made all of us unique, and we love that, and that is something from God. 
But what we're going to talk about today is in the same way I'm a masterpiece, so is my neighbor. So is the person who's the exact opposite from me. And in fact, not only are they a masterpiece, and not only they have a purpose on this planet, but we're going to say here today, as you see up there on the screen, is that their differences, our differences, not just I put up with them, not just like I accept them, but in fact, I need them. Because their differences, our differences, are for my benefit. You see, sometimes people ask me for marriage advice. All right, sometimes people come to me and say, hey, Father Anthony, you know, give us some advice. We're getting married. Give us one piece of advice. And I will say the same thing. I will say that for us, for me and Marianne, the turning point in our marriage, at least for me, the turning point in our marriage is when I started to view our differences for my benefit. And I even go a step further. And what I say is God gave me a wife very different from me, not for my benefit only, but for the salvation of my soul. It wasn't always like that. I didn't always view it that way. Because there's this natural tendency, okay, I'm not alone in this one. There's a natural tendency, like last week when we're discovering our personalities, and I'm talking about extrovert. All the extroverts are like, yeah, the world should be more extrovert. And all the introverts, when I'm talking about that, like, thank God I'm not that. There's a natural tendency to want everybody to be, to think that my personality type is the best. So extroverts naturally want their spouses to be extroverts. Like all you extroverts out there wish your spouses would talk more, okay, and be more fun. And the introverts, the exact opposite. They wish a little bit lower on the, on the talking. The, the, the J's naturally wish that their spouse or their friends or their boss or whatever could get on track a little bit more. Whereas those P's over there, they just wish everyone was a little bit more relaxed and think, why can't everybody see it the way I see it? It's natural to view your own personality type as the best. And anyone who's different, your goal is to fix them. Well, I'm telling you, for the first several years of my marriage, I tried to fix my wife. Because me and Marianne, for those who know us, this is very apparent. We are polar opposite. Like we talked about the Myers-Briggs stuff. Like we are polar opposite, every single one of them. Like I am the planner. Like everything has to be planned. And you, I actually have a set time to make my plan. So I plan to make my plan, okay? Whereas my wife, I just use the word she uses. She says she's laid back. And all you planners out there, you know what laid back is code word for, right? Okay, we won't say it, all right? I'm a detail guy. I notice everything, okay? I'm gone out of town for a week. The first thing I do, come home, who moved that? Why is that over there? And I'm a detailed guy. And there's nothing that happens in the house when I'm there or when I'm not there that I don't notice. My wife sees the big picture of things, okay? And she misses a lot on a lot of these details. And I naturally think that I wish she was more detail-oriented. I wish she focused more. And she naturally think that I wish, she wish that I wasn't so uptight, okay? She wish I was more laid back, as she would say, all right? Thinking and feeling, I'm a high thinker, she's a high feeler. Okay, and I remember it was a time in our marriage where she used to say like, this hurt my feelings, this hurt my feelings. And finally I had enough like, well, this hurt my logic, okay? <laughs> and if you're allowed to have hurt feelings, I'm allowed to have hurt logic, okay? For years, we'll stop right there before I get myself in more trouble. For years, I tried to fix my wife and tried to show her the light about how life would just be so much better if she was more like me. And then we had a breakthrough. Or I should say I had a breakthrough. And what God revealed to me is that actually, 
what I love about my wife is actually what I hate about her too. Hate's a very strong word, but you know what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to make the point. Okay, I love my wife. Okay. What I hate about my wife is what I love about my wife. What I love about my wife is what I hate about my wife. Like, I love it 85% of the time, but that last 15%, no good. But you can't have the 85 without the 15. For example, like I said, she's easygoing. I tend to be a little bit more structured. Punctual, for example. A punctuality is like a big thing for me. Like, I just, I'm a punctual person. My wife tends to be a little more laid back and go with the flow. You know what I realized? Is that 85% of the time, I am thankful that she's so laid back because I'm the kind of person that I'll call, we have plans to do whatever it may be. And then I'll call her up on the way home and say, hey, plans change. We're going to do this and we're going to do that and actually forget about that and we're canceling that. And she'll say, okay. <laughs> if she did that with me, oh. <laughs> so I benefit from her laid backedness 85% of the time. Like I said, I'm a logical, analytical, I'm a thinker. She's a feeler. She's a heart person. Sometimes, like I said, you hurt my logic. And I think, why can't she see this is as logical and as easy as I do? But you know what? 85% of the time, you know what that not thinking logically all the time, the same way I do, helps her to do? Be the most compassionate person in the whole wide world. And 85% of the time, that's exactly what I love. Because I can come home with the dumbest, dumbest ideas. I say the dumbest things. And I do the dumbest things. And I'm like, I got this great idea. And she's so nicely and kindly is like, oh, that's great. And she's so compassionate. And she's so sweet. And she's so forgiving. And she's so supportive. If she was logical like me, it wouldn't work that way. The easiest one is the talking. Okay, I'm not much of a talker. I get all my talking out over here. Okay, this is kind of where I do my talking. I'm not so good at the talking, okay? But you know what? I'm so glad that God gave me a wife who talks so we can, like, talk. <laughs> I always joke with her that when she goes out of town, she went out of town for a business trip not too long ago. All right, and what's life like when Marianne is out of town? All right, I'm in charge of the kitchen because I'm the tallest person in the house. So it's me and the kids. So like by six o'clock, everyone's got to finish eating. Dishes got to go in the dishwasher. Everyone's up for showering. By 6.30, lights are out. Kitchen is clean. We're ready for bed. Okay, by seven o'clock at the latest, like everything runs like clockwork. And then Marianne will be like, did you talk to the children today? And I'll be like, so you know what I discovered? Do you know what I discovered? Is that, you know what? With Marianne, with the differences between us, you know what? Dinner might not be ready just on time. Like we might be a little bit delayed getting the dishes done, but the kids had somebody to talk to about their day. That's a win. That you know what? I might, she might not be downstairs exactly at 6.55 because that's when we said we need to leave. We might be five minutes late to whatever event, but I have someone who's flexible enough that they can deal with my craziness and my whatever it may be whenever I change the plans. And just so you know, I'll give you another piece of marriage advice. I told you the first piece of marriage advice is view the differences for the benefit. I'll give you the second piece of marriage advice right here that isn't, doesn't sound very spiritual, but I promise you, stick with me on this one, especially if you're punctual with an unpunctual spouse. Two cars. <laughs> we go everywhere in two cars, okay? Very rarely do you find me and Marianne in one car coming to an event together. And if we are, we probably fought on the way over, okay? <laughs> and what I tell people is whatever we spend in gas, we save in counseling, so it's worth it, okay? <laughs> Take two cars wherever it is that you go. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 through 5. Our differences are for my benefit. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, 
not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Not to think of yourself, your personality type, your character. Don't think so highly of yourself. Think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. You would think naturally that the more spiritual one is, the easier it is to see the benefit of people who are different than you. But I will propose to you the exact opposite. And that's why we're discussing this topic today. I think the more time you spend in church and the more you grow in your relationship with God, the more you're at risk of viewing your way is the only way. Because you have evidence that my way helped me get close to God and my way brought me to where I am. So you start to fall into this trap of like my way is the only way. And anyone who does it a different way is obviously doing it the wrong way. For example, I love, I love, I love, we have a very diverse church. And it's not just diverse uh, ethnically or racially or politically or, or, or generationally. I love how we think differently. I love how people have different passions and gifts and people have different things that burns their heart. So I love this discussion whenever we have, like we'll have a meeting with a staff meeting or a volunteer meeting or a board meeting, or whatever. I love the discussion of like, should we invest more in preaching the gospel locally, okay? And preaching and, and, and doing community service in the local community, or should we, what about the refugee crisis, the international crisis with this, whatever it is? Like, which is more important? That we take care of the local, the homeless population in DC and in Arlington, or we care more about the international stuff? And the answer is differences. It doesn't mean one is right or one is wrong. Someone, for example, would say that should we even worry about taking care of the community or should we just focus on our own children and like invest all we have in the Sunday school and our youth ministry? Like let's take care of our own before we go out and take care of others. But others say, no, we're commanded to preach the gospel. And what I'm saying is I love the differences. How about politically and voting? How you could, how dare you? You could come up with a reason. How dare you vote for this person who, and you could fill in the blank. This person supports abortion. How dare you support someone who supports abortion? How could you possibly do that? Well, how could you support somebody who doesn't care about the poor? Let me ask you a question. What does God care more about, the poor or the unborn babies? And the answer is yes, both, yes. There's no right, okay? There's no right, there's no wrong. God cares about all and we complete each other, none of us, has a monopoly on the truth or what's right. It is very dangerous to see my own gifts as the best. It is very dangerous. Just like in the Labor Day story I told you earlier, it is very dangerous for those guys to think, hey, we're the owners, we don't need them. They're, they're not needed, we're much more needed. And I'm telling you, all of us are needed. Just the same way in this country, we need all the, we need lawyers, we need doctors, we need engineers, we need people to design the railroad, people to build the railroad, people to pay for the railroad. We need all those different parts. We need it all in the family and the house of God as well. We need people who care about the poor, people who care about the babies, people who care about the widows, people who care about the single moms. We need people who want to preach to the ends of the earth and people who want to serve outside in the street right here. We need all of those different things and no one is more correct than the other. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. Every week I've showed you this verse, but I've been talking about you. Today, I'm not talking about you. I want you to read this verse about the person who's the exact opposite of you. The person who you think they're wrong and you wish they were more like the person you're trying to fix, your husband, your wife, your boss, your coworker, whatever, the person you're trying to fix. That person is his workmanship. 
That person is his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that he or she should walk in them. As I am unique, created unique for a purpose, so is the person who's the exact opposite of me. In the same way I said, the United States of America is big enough where we need all those different parts. The kingdom of God is big enough where we need all kinds of different talents, all kinds of different gifts. We need extroverts and introverts. We need the sensory people and we need the detail people. We need all kinds of different people in the house of God. Now, what we're gonna do today is we are going to look at a case study of two people, great, great, great people, like top-notch, like on the honor roll of God's servants, leaders in the early church, people who did great things for the kingdom of God, but were very, very different in the way they did it. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to look at the fight of the century, the first century, as we're going to talk about two saints, Barnabas and Paul. St. Barnabas and St. Paul two greats of Christian history who were the original dream team. Like these guys, these guys, they were at the forefront when the gospel was spreading like wildfire, okay? When the gospel was being preached in the early church and people were joining, Barnabas and Paul, okay, he started Saul and eventually became Paul, all right, were at the forefront of it. They did miracles, they preached, they wrote letters, they started churches, they got, these guys were the all-stars, all right? And here's one verse to show you kind of how they were at the front. Acts 13, verse two. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. That having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. The Holy Spirit, as they were preparing to take the gospel outside to the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit said, mm, these two, give me that one and give me that one. And these are the two that I have chosen. And these guys, like I said, they're the original dream team. Paul was the strong, fiery preacher who preached with passion and fervor, and he crushed people, and he broke hearts. Barnabas, as his name is, means the son of encouragement. He was the one who picked up the pieces of those broken hearts and put them back together. They were the perfect tag team together. And you'll see from the very beginning of their relationship how they needed one another. All right, the beginning of their relationship appears in Acts chapter nine. This is after Saul, who had been a persecutor of Christians, a unbeliever in Christ. He saw that vision on the road to Damascus and all of a sudden his life was changed, he believed. But then he went to the disciples and the disciples were like, no, thank you. We don't have anything to do with you. And obviously because he was a killer of Christians. Then look what it says right here, Acts 9, 26. And when Saul, that's Paul, okay, but his name changed later. When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. And this is, this makes sense because he was a killer and they did not believe that he was a disciple. But look here, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. So did you know that if there was no Barnabas, there would be no Paul? That Paul came and said, I'm with you guys now. And they said, get behind me, Satan. They won't have anything to do with Paul and you understand why. He killed many of their friends. He may have even killed some of their sisters, their mothers, their brothers. They won't have anything to do with Paul. But Barnabas said, he's with me. I vouch for him. Even though he didn't know him. But he said, he's with me. There would be no Paul if there was no Barnabas. A couple chapters later, Barnabas now is out and he's preaching and he's doing his thing. And then Barnabas gets caught 
and he gets in over his head with the mission and the ministry and how it's growing. We'll go to Acts chapter 11. And the hand of the Lord is with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. This is a good problem. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. So Barnabas, they hear that like good stuff is happening here, and they send Barnabas. Barnabas gets there, and he realizes, I can't handle all this. Like these people need teaching. These people need someone to teach them from the Old Testament and connect the life of Christ. And that's just not my gift. Like I'm a one-on-one kind of a guy. I'm an encourager, but I just can't do this. And who does he call? Verse 25. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for the whole year. They assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. These guys were the dream team. The preacher the masses, and then the comforter, the, the compassion, the encourager for the one-on-ones. These guys were the perfect tag team. These guys were Batman and Robin. These guys were Scooby and Shaggy. Better than even Jay-Z and Beyonce. Like what could go wrong like in a couple like this? Like this was the perfect match. You can't imagine one without the other, right? Well, fast forward to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, Barnabas and Saul have been serving together for a number of years now. And as they're serving together, like I said, people are being called Christians. The church is growing. They get called to Jerusalem to speak about their ministry because now the Gentiles are starting to join the church. And the people back in Jerusalem are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We never said that all those Gentiles could join the church, did we? Like, it seems like something's not right there. So they call Barnabas and Saul back. Barnabas and Saul stand in front of the church and they say, you know what? God sent the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles. They're legit. Leave them alone. And the, and the council in Jerusalem says, correct. We'll let these guys go. Keep doing what you're doing. At the end of that council, they go out and they celebrate. Okay, Acts 15, 35. How do Paul and Barnabas celebrate this great victory? It says, Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. You go out and grab a drink, you go out to eat. They stay and preach the word of God. Like everyone celebrates in their own way. This is how they celebrated this great victory. And then watch what happens in the next verse. Paul gets an idea. Then after some days... Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So Paul says to Barnabas, hey, I got an idea. Like we went to Rome, we went to Ephesus, we went to Thessalonica. Let's go back there and see how they're doing. And Barnabas is like, this is a great idea. Now the next verse that appears may be the most shocking verse in all the scriptures. Like, it would be less surprising if the next verse said, and St. Paul stood on his head and cackled like a chicken for the next 12 hours. It would be less surprising than what we're about to see next. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Context. Paul and Barnabas were this dynamic duo, but they had other disciples that were with them. One of them was St. Mark, also called John Mark, the evangelist, the one who wrote the second gospel. But at a certain point in time, Mark, who was younger than the rest of them, couldn't take the heat, so to speak, and he left them. So they were going to do preaching, they were relying on him, but then they say he didn't show up, and they found out that he actually quit, it was too much for him, and he went back home. So St. Paul is saying, I ain't working with that guy no more. Because he dropped the ball when we needed him most. And you would say, you're right. But then Barnabas said, hey, give the guy a chance. Aren't we preaching love? 
And aren't we preaching second chances? And hey, Paul, didn't I give you a second chance? And you say, he's right. Look what happens next. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So sharp that they parted from one another. And tradition tells us, not only did they not get along this day, but they never actually spoke again after this. Even though Paul and Mark did make up again. Like Mark became buddies with Paul and he actually was the cousin of Barnabas. So Mark was cool here and Mark was cool here. But these two guys never spoke again, tradition tells us. You say, what? Like when you, you're Saint Paul. Like you're not Paul, you're Saint Paul. Like when your name is Saint something, you get along with people. Like you don't do stuff like this with another guy named Saint something or other. Why can't Paul just see that Barnabas is right? Well, wait a minute, who said Barnabas is right? Why can't Barnabas see that the mission is so important that you can't take this guy with you? Why can't he see that St. Paul is right? Question, who's right? Who's right? If you had to cast a vote, let's just have some fun with this thing. Let's just cast a vote right here, right here, just by show of hands. If you were gonna side with St. Paul, okay? St. Paul's right. Don't, uh, the mission is important, and, and we don't need to know crybaby, okay? Especially your stupid cousin, okay? Stop babying your stupid cousin. Like, what's right is what's right and what's wrong. Raise your hand if you, if you, you agree with St. Paul, okay? Not that many, okay? I would agree with St. Paul. Now raise your hand if you're more of a Barnabas. Like, give him a chance, and it's not that big a deal. All right, okay, so let me spend a little more time on you guys then, okay? <laughs> Those who raised their hands. If you lent your car to somebody and he wrecked it, would you lend it to him again? If you gave someone your house for the weekend and he trashed it, would you give him your house again? Okay, now let's go back again. Who's St. Paul now? Who's St. Paul? All right, did anybody shift? Look here, who's right and who's wrong? I will predict, remember how last week I told you that, that the Myers-Briggs doesn't tell you everything about you, but it kind of predicts how you would behave? So I'm gonna make a prediction. My prediction is that if you are, remember when we did the, the letters, the middle letters, N or F? Okay, raise your hand if you're an NF. Okay, if you have the letters N and F inside your personality type, okay? My prediction is that if you're an NF, you probably side with Barnabas. Am I right, NFs? Okay. And my prediction is if your letters were S and J, S and J, and especially if it's a T in there, I have no doubt, I know for sure where you are. But if it's S and J, you probably sided with Paul. Am I right? Okay. So again, Myers-Briggs doesn't tell you everything you need to know, but it just predicts how you're likely to behave. And I'm probably wrong, maybe 15, 20% of the time, but I bet you 80% of the time, if you're an N and F, you probably side with St. Barnabas. And if you're an S and a J, you probably side with the other one. See, I, I view it this way. I view life, there's two kinds of personalities. I boil it all life down to there's Marianne's and there's me's. Those are the only two people in the whole wide world. Okay, and I one time came up with this description about how life has pillows and swords. There are swords and there are pillows. Swords use words like truth, justice, right, wrong, okay? And they're swords and they cut stuff. And that could be good stuff, but that could be killing stuff. A sword needs to marry a pillow. A soft landing place. Because pillows use words like harmony 
and it's okay. And again, laid back. And what I discovered is that if you're a sword, you probably agree with who? Paul. And if you're a pillow, you probably agree with who? Barnabas. Now, who's right? Nobody. Sword. <laughs> sword. Yeah, very good. The sword is correct. They're very good. That's the right answer. The answer is sword. Okay, how about this? Before I tell you the right answer, go to the Bible. Will the Bible tell us who's right? The Bible will surely give us a verse to tell us who's right and who's wrong, correct? Look, I've told you all this before. You tell me what you want to do. I will find you a Bible verse to support you. You can make the Bible say whatever you want. Just like those who work in politics know you can make the same constitution. You can argue completely different sides of the political spectrum based on the same language in the constitution. You can make it say what you want to say. The Bible's no different. If I'm St. Paul, I go Proverbs 25, 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot out of joint. That's a great verse. Okay, there's a great image right there. Dealing with you, Mark, is like a toothache and a, and a dislocated ankle. So you say, clear, the scripture is clear. Paul is right. But no, Barnabas got his verse too. He would say, Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in love, not always excuse, accused, but nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. I can find you a Bible verse to do whatever you want. So don't tell me that, that, that this says this and one verse dictates. No, nah, that's not how it works. The end result is that they're both right. Like, should there be accountability for Mark? Yes. Should there be a second chance? Yes. Does God hold us? Does God give us second chances? Absolutely. But does he hold us accountable? Yes. Who's right? Nobody. Our differences are for my benefit. Because what you see right here, even though these guys had a major, major fight, look what happens. God never lets the fight be the end of the story. Acts 13, 15, verse 39. So after they, their contention was so sharp, they wouldn't speak to each other. Barnabas took Mark, sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the, brother, by the brethren to the grace of God, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. What happened? God used division to create multiplication. Before, you had Paul and Barnabas. You had a great team. Now you have two teams. You had Paul and Silas, and then you had Mark and Barnabas. Two go north, two go south. The kingdom of God, God used the differences for everybody's benefit, is my point and God does the same thing today. He uses pillows, he uses swords. He uses people who think task first, people who think people first. He uses people who are empathy and harmony and love and grace, and he uses people who are truth and justice. And we need all of those in the body of God. Let me ask you a question. What would your life look like if everyone was just like you? What would your life look like if everyone was just like you? Let's go back to the Myers-Briggs. You're an extrovert. What would your life look like if everyone, let's say you're married, all your friends, whatever it may be, everyone was an extrovert around you? That would be great. You'd say, hey, the party would never end. It'd be 24-7 party, and that'd be the best. But you know what the introverts allow you to do? The introverts allow you to get work done sometimes because sometimes the party has to end, and it's time to go to sleep. I'm an introvert. I think life would be great if it was just introverts. If my house was just introverts, life would be great. But you would never want to visit me, would you? Because we'd be miserable people. Okay, because we would just be the whole time like staring at the clock. <laughs> J's and P's. J's, we said, are the structure, the planners. The P's are the laid back, okay? If everyone was a J, 
life, it sounds like it'd be great because everything would work right on time. But you know, if one person messed up one event, if everyone was a J and everything was structured and one guy was one minute late for one meeting, it would just throw the entire, like the world would explode, okay? Because everything is so finely detailed. And if the world was all peas, no one would get the mail, all right? Or, <laughs> like, yeah, and the trash would pile up and like, yeah. We need both. We need both. We need both. We need swords to fight for justice. We need pillows to comfort the victims of the injustice. We need both. And I'm thankful that God didn't put someone next to me who's just like me because our differences are for my benefit. It says it this way about Jesus. Okay, I showed you what Paul would say, what Jesus would say. Psalm 85 verse 10, mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. This is a prophecy about the coming Messiah, the son of God, who was the mercy of God, and the truth of God, perfectly combined in one. Okay, St. John even says it more uh, specifically or, 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 or uh, emphatically right here in John 1.17. The law was given through Moses, but what came through Christ? Grace and truth. Christ in every, this is the right answer. I'll tell you the right answer, which is impossible for us, but here's the right answer. That every interaction, that every conversation should be 100% grace and 100% truth. That's who Jesus was. Not 50-50. Not 100% sometimes here and 100% sometimes here. Every word he said was 100% the grace of God and 100% the truth of God, perfectly combined in one. Me and you, we're not perfect. So each one of us is a piece, but together we complete each other. Together we complete each other. Some of us lean a little bit more on the truth side, so maybe we need to snuggle over here with grace a little bit. And some of us are too much on the grace side. We need a kick in the pants to get back over here from truth. But in the end, our differences are for my benefit. Think of it this way. This past week, we were on vacation. And one of the things that we thought would be a fun thing is we got a puzzle from the hotel. Okay, and we just do the little puzzle. What's the most frustrating thing when you do a puzzle? When, you get to the, when it's a, 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 like a communal puzzle, you get to the very end and it's missing one piece and you want to kill somebody. And you turn the place upside down and we dropped it and we must have lost whatever it is. And you go back and you complain to the manager, okay, at nine o'clock at night, we need that puzzle piece. And oh yes, yeah, sorry, that one's missing one. That missing one you should have told us before. Think of every person in your life as a puzzle piece. A puzzle piece. By itself, puzzle piece is pretty worthless. But when you got the whole picture right there and that piece isn't there, then you turn the world upside down to find that one puzzle piece because that has tremendous value when it's missing. Think of the person who's opposite from you. This could be someone in your family. Like I said, think of the person you're trying to fix. Maybe that's a puzzle piece in your life. And yeah, it's not like your puzzle piece, but you don't need another one of you. Like you only need one of you. The world is good enough with one of you. Maybe you need the person who's the exact opposite of you. And maybe instead of trying to fix them, maybe you should learn from them and use it for your benefit. Say it this way. We don't just accept one another, we need one another. We don't just put up with differences, we embrace them. For those who were at Momentum last year, 2017, the whole conference was about this, this, this idea that we don't just accept one another. I don't just accept my wife's difference and say, okay, she's different than me, okay, I put up with it. No, I don't accept it. 
I need it. I need her. I don't just accept her. Like accept is, is, is too weak. We should accept one another. We shouldn't just accept one another. We need one another. We don't just put up with our differences. We embrace them. And I say, thank you, God, that you gave me somebody who's not like me. Thank you, God, that I'm in a church of people who are not just like me, that I have a set of gifts and I'm gonna do my thing. But I'm thankful that you have a different set of gifts. I'm thankful there's a group of people up on the third floor right now who have the gift of taking care of our children that I do not have that gift, all right? And a lot of us can sit here very comfortably because someone is watching our children and loving them and patient with them and doing fun stuff with them. I go up there one Sunday, I go up to that little guys, the, little, the, 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 the toddlers and the whatever, and my goal is do not get kicked, okay? Do not get killed when I'm up there. Like that's my goal, my mission, okay? I'm not meant to be up there. I'm thankful someone in this church has that gift. I'm thankful there's people in this church who have the gift of listening. I have the gift of talking. I don't really have the gift of listening as much. I'm thankful that many of you have the gift of listening, Okay, so we, when someone needs to talk, that we're there for another. It's not all focused on what is Father Anthony and where is Father Anthony. It's not that. I'm thankful that our differences are there for our benefit. Think of it this way. I think of, you know the story of the five loaves and the two fish, where there was a little boy who had five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish. And there was all the disciples, the big guys, all right, and then Jesus said, hey, guys, we need to feed all these people. And here comes this little runt, this good-for-nothing little runt. He's like, I have uh, my lunchbox right here, and can I help? If I'm the disciples, I'm like, get out of here, little kid. Like, we got big people problem right here. Like, we don't need you and your stupid little lunchbox. Like, we got big stuff. Like, unless you got, like, 50,000 pieces of bread in there or you got, like, a check from Daddy Warbucks, like, get out of town. We don't need you. We don't need you. We need people who think like us. What if the person that you're trying to fix is the five loaves and two fish boy? Like, what if the person who you're saying, you have no value? What value do you have? What benefit do you provide to my life? Maybe that's the five loaves and two fish kid. Or maybe that's the one guy that God is like, that's the guy I sent to fix the problem. But we don't see his value. your homework this week, to think of the person who you're trying to fix, especially the people closest to you. I see this a lot in marriage. I see this a lot with parents. I see this a lot with like siblings, with the close people to you who you're pushing away because they're not falling in line. They're not getting fixed. And your homework is to see the value in them because God made them that way. They're a unique creation just the same way. They're a masterpiece just the same way you are. Your homework is to figure out why God put them in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. I'm gonna finish up. I'm gonna invite the music team to come back up here on stage. Okay, music team, come back here on stage if you don't mind. We're gonna, we're gonna conclude with a song in a minute. But before I, I get to the music team, but y'all can come back. I wanna read to you something that I wrote in my journal, okay, when I had this breakthrough with me and Marianne. When I started to realize, like I said, that our differences, my benefit. And I actually took it, eventually made it into like a blog post. Okay, so you're not getting the full journal version because I had much more details, which are not appropriate for here. All right, but I wanna read to you what I wrote several years back. I wrote, from the very start, I knew that we were inherently different. 
But that was okay because I loved those differences. Those differences are actually what attracted me most to her. I couldn't marry another sword because we killed each other. A sword needs a nice soft pillow to land on to avoid damage. I love the fact that she was different, but over time, I realized that these differences sometimes meant that we would disagree or we'd have different ideas about how to solve a problem or deal with an issue. I started to think, watch this, that her way was wrong and my way was right. I didn't realize that different doesn't mean wrong, it just means different. So then I did what any loving husband would do. I tried to fix her to make her more like me. And she probably tried to do the same to me. Not surprisingly, both of us failed and both of us felt frustrated. We were looking at our differences in the wrong way. Instead of embracing our differences, we resisted them. Here comes the breakthrough. Eventually we learned to value and appreciate our differences. We realized that God brought us together because he knew that those differences would add a richness and balance to our marriage. He knew that my swordness needed a pillow like her and vice versa. And once we accepted and embraced this idea, God really opened our eyes to the beauty of marriage and how we were made to live. He made us realize that our differences, if we could learn to use them properly, would eventually become our greatest asset. And I believe the same could be true in you, your marriage, your friendship, whatever it may be. Our differences are for my benefit. I don't put up with the differences. I don't accept the differences. I embrace them because they're necessary for me and what God wants to do in me. Let's stand together. And the music team will lead us in a song and then we'll conclude with a prayer.
Father, we thank you that in your house there is space for every single one of us. We thank you, Lord, that you made us all unique, crafted by your almighty hand, the same hand that hung stars in the sky. And we pray, Lord, that you would not only allow us to see our own uniqueness and masterpiece, but also see that of the person who's different from us that we're just we're struggling to see why you put them in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the benefit, the value that they can bring to us and how we not only just accept them, but we really need one another. I pray that this mindset, Lord, that you had when you sent your son to this earth full of grace and truth, that we can have that same spirit within us to treat all with grace and truth, to see no one as better or worse, but to see the value in each person. We pray this in the name of your son, the prayers of all of your saints. Here says we pray thankfully, our father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much.